Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. It was a chilly fall day and Albrecht and Boris had arrived at Karlshorst, the Soviet military complex located in the outskirts of Berlin. Albrecht was staring directly at a short Russian man sitting behind a desk. The man wanted an answer from Albrecht. The moment he opened his mouth, there was nothing but strength coming out of that little man. Just a little guy. Physically totally unimpressive, but I believe quite dangerous. A lot of uh, KGB had served in the war, frontline. Some of them shot soldiers who retreated in the back. There was, there was all kinds of bad things going on. You don't know what kind of a background this man had. I think there was uh, ruthlessness and cruelty in there. Uh, but he knew that he was serving a cause. Though Albrecht did not speak fluent Russian, he understood the question the man was asking him. Are you in or are you out? The man asked if he was ready to join the KGB and become an agent. Up until that moment, I had really not thought through what that decision might mean. I was just playing along. Hey, let's see what happens. What happens next? I hadn't really internalized this. Now he he put it in front of me. I sort of had an idea that I would have to start life all over and uh, forget about my past and all that, but I had to really think what that means and to what extent I would be ready to actually take that plunge. And I believe that unexpected attack on me was done on purpose. You know, they, they wanted somebody to say, yeah, okay, and not hesitate for too long. So he gave me overnight. The never-wavering confidence Albrecht Dietrich always possessed had suddenly abandoned him. He had to make a decision, a decision that would impact the rest of his life. Boris takes me back to uh, the subway station, to the, the one that I walked to from the place where I stayed. And at this point, it's uh, mid to late afternoon. I just remember it was fall. And I'm walking along that path through a park, and I'm walking very slowly. And I still remember, I, I look at the trees, and I look at the sky, and I'm just looking for answers. Nobody told me anything. <laughs> okay, on the one hand, we have my career at university. I considered my hometown more so than any other places that I grew up in. This is where I was already somebody. There were 100,000 people lived there, and I would have been one of the ruling class, so to speak. You know, I was already recognized. 
basketball was very important to me. I mean, you know, I had no more basketball, you know. Uh, that was a passion of mine. And I wanted to be a tenured professor. I didn't like chemistry that much. It wasn't a passion, but I was pretty good at it, and I liked teaching. So what didn't hold me there, and this made, I think, a critical difference, I didn't have a love relationship at the time with a young lady. I was dating around a little bit, but nothing serious. Getting married, having a family, that was the furthest on my mind. On the other hand was, my God, adventure, the ability to travel. You know, the one city I always wanted to visit was Paris because I read everything that was available in translation that was written by a French author by the name of Honoré de Balzac. I wanted to see Paris. Uh, the flattery that comes with being recruited was huge. I didn't know how special I was going to be, but I knew it was pretty special. Lastly, already I had a flavor of what it's like to break laws. And I have always been a rebel, a contrarian. I, I managed to channel my rebellion so it wouldn't get in the way. But here I was going to be supported by the biggest or the strongest or the second strongest nation on earth to go, go ahead and break a ton of laws and just no repercussions. Fundamentally already, if I said yes, I, I would have existed in East Germany and in, in Russia outside of the law. In the end, that decision became a no-brainer. And it was more emotional than based on the analytics. I've, I've done this so many times in my life when you have two choices and you line them all up and then you assign point values to the individual pros and cons. You add them all up, and then when you're done, you throw it away and say, nah, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. It's instinct. So next day, I meet Boris, and I said, yeah, when do I start? From Imperative Entertainment, I'm Alden Ehrenreich. This is The Agent. I was on a one-way street. I needed to go to the United States. She could not be allowed to interfere with that. There was no turning back. It was clear that I was going to become Henry Van Randall. Soviet troops were all over the place in Afghanistan today. Neither the American people nor I will support sending an Olympic team to Moscow. They were afraid that Ronald Reagan might want to accelerate the end of the world. To ignore the facts of history and the aggressive impulses of an evil empire, to simply call the arms race a giant misunderstanding. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I created for myself an artificial dual personality. I had two of them. The spy job got in, in the way of my real job. I knew that the FBI would never find me. I had a dream one night. I think I need to look for him again. I need to find him. Chapter 3. The Dance. He was only 23 years old, and now Albrecht Dietrich was to become an undercover agent for the KGB. He would begin his training immediately, leaving everything else behind. The son he had fathered a year earlier, his career in academia, and the promise of prestige in German society. He struggled to find the words to tell his mother about this sudden change of careers. My mother was so proud of me that I was going to be a tenured professor. I mean. 
And here I am and says, hey, mom, you know, I, I decided to do something else. And that it was around Christmas and my brother was there. And my mom looked at me and she says, are you a spy? Very astute. And I said, mom, are you crazy? And then my brother saved the day. He said, nah, Albrecht would never do something like that. And that was the end of that discussion. You know, and then I elaborated a little bit. And she understood this, Germans understand the desire to travel, to go see places. And I said, here's an opportunity that I wouldn't get if I stayed in Jena. And she bought into this. She was so proud of me. I was the golden boy. If she ever had a focus on an individual in her life, that was me. Albrecht knew very little about what was next for him now that he was to begin his training. He could not share anything with his mother or his friends, and it might be years before anyone heard from him again. One day I packed a suitcase with my belongings, and uh, I also had a, an attaché case. I get on a train and I go to Berlin. And I'd have another one of those meetings with somebody I never knew before, and I'd with the, the, the like exchange of code phrases. That was Nikolai. Whether that was his real name, I, I would think uh, probably not. Nikolai was yet another new face in a rotation of many faces Albrecht would meet in the coming months. He was about maybe 5'11", docky, very well built, very strong, physically very strong, big head and almost no neck. The guy probably lifted weights. Uh, he was very nice, very friendly. So we sit in the car, and then he said something that totally blew my mind, because I figured, all right, so I'm going to Berlin, I'm getting training by the KGB, they're going to get me a place to live, right? And that's when he said, oh, by the way, your first task is to find a place to live. Huh? Now, I managed to not act surprised, but I was totally surprised. Right out of the gate, you, you got to understand, there was a severe housing shortage in all of Germany. Apartments were owned by the state. You couldn't just go find yourself one. Uh, they were all controlled through the state and the waiting list was yay long. How do I find a place to live? I did not question, but in hindsight, I know this was a test. It was a test to find out how I can improvise my ability to make something out of nothing. And I did. We parted ways and made an, an appointment uh, to meet in a few days, same place at a certain time. So now I th I'm thinking, you know, how, how do I find something? And I came up with a, probably the only thing that might work I got on, this, uh, on the, the city train. This is sort of like the subway up, but it goes above ground in Berlin. And I took one line to the very end, and there's a little town by the name of Akna, and I walked around, and I knocked on doors, and I asked, you know, if there's a place where I could stay. It took me about an hour until somebody says, well, there's uh, somebody over there. So I knock on the door and uh, there's this lady who looked probably a lot older than her real age, did not look very healthy, had very bad teeth. She opened the door and I told her what, what I'm looking for and she allowed me in. There were two small children. Uh, she's a widow. 
She didn't work and she could use the money. And she had an outbuilding where one could sleep. She showed me the building. Uh, it was a concrete structure, one room and a little anteroom. The anteroom had, had running cold water and the room itself had a bed, a stove, a coal-fired stove and a chair. I took it. Not exactly the top secret lair of a KGB agent. Albrecht was not aware that this was a final pass-fail test. At this point, failure would have spelled disaster. But Albrecht did what he had to do. And most importantly, he did not complain, keeping his disappointment to himself. When I met Nikolai again, he said, so did you find something? I said, yes. And I didn't tell him what it was. I didn't complain. I, I didn't describe it. That was it. For the next uh, close to six months, I slept in that place. You know, I got up in the morning and I would make my way into the city, spend pretty much the entire day at a library or wandering around in the city because one of the tasks that I had was to get to know the city as well as I could because this is your playground as an agent, as a spy. You need to know the place that you're living in. So I explored a lot. And then I went back to sleep. And uh, so I existed. Again, I blindly followed the uh, instructions. I did what they asked me to do. And so it was a bit of a surprise. I went one day when, when I met Nikolai in his car and he said, by the way, he handed me a set of keys. These are the keys to your new place. <laughs> I had passed that test. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Instead of going to a formal training center full of experts such as Q in the James Bond movies, full of secret gadgets and fast cars. You'll be using this Aston Martin DB5 with modifications. Now, pay attention, please. Albrecht once again had to reset his expectations. One might think that there was a highly structured development plan, right? Or maybe even a classroom with a few colleagues. None of that. All training was one-on-one, -on -one. Nikolai didn't even give me a piece of paper. He said, well, you got to do this, 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 and this. And slowly I was introduced to people who would teach me Morse code, who would teach me uh, encryption and decryption, photography. And then Nikolai himself did some training, and then I had to learn a language and write reports and stuff. The most important thing in the beginning was I had to read a thick volume 
about the history of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, more indoctrination. Part of my training while I was in Berlin uh, was very cultural. They wanted to make sure that they send seasoned, knowledgeable, culturally aware agents into the West, not, not just from a point of view of what the society is like, but literature, the arts, music, and all that. And that was great. The KGB paid for the tickets. I got to go see theater plays, concerts, museums. This was all part of my work, which that was really wonderful. The other thing that was important to them is for me to at least study as much as I can about what life was like in West Germany, because they were going to send me to West Germany. It was quite clear. I would wake up around 7 o'clock, go across the street to the bakery, get myself a freshly baked set of rolls, make coffee, and start watching West German television. And in the morning, they had a lot of children's television. My favorite TV show at the, in those days was uh, Sesame Street in German. Mana, mana. Oh, hallo, hast du Lust, mit uns zusammen ein Lied zu singen? Mana, mana. Weißt du, was das heißen soll? Ist das ein Lied? Mana, mana. Mana, mana. Mana, mana. This, this was really, it was so funny. I spent a lot of time watching TV. When I was done around 11, I would, you know, take a train to the library, read some books and or, or do some uh, you know, wandering around in the city to get to know the city better. It was a highly unstructured existence. In other words, the structure was my own. Nikolai came by once a week, I would meet him. Eventually, I got into special training, such as Morse code. It took quite a while to get me up to speed with that. Then somebody taught me the encryption method I was going to use, and a few other technical things. I was a self-starter. In many respects, it was great, but it was also somewhat lonely. I had no classmates, I had no colleagues. I, I had Nikolai and some of the other instructors, but the only one with whom I had sort of a human-to-human -human relationship was Nikolai. And he was still my boss, and he was a tough boss. One item that was part of the training was, I was told all agents, no matter where they go, need to learn another language. Now, it was my advantage. They were going to send me to West Germany. I spoke German. They wanted me to learn another language. And Nikolai said, pick one. So I picked English because I already, school English was really easy. It's the universal language. I started from scratch pretty much with a tutor. We started literally English 101. When we raced through the first textbooks till he, this guy ran out of ability to teach me. And then I became obsessed because I'm, I'm also a counter. I like counting things. And I remembered that my hero, he was unquestionably my hero in those days. There was no, no, no second choice. It was Vladimir Lenin, the man who was responsible for the successful October Revolution, and the man who was the founder of the Soviet Union just before he died. I read that when he was in exile, he studied German, and he learned a hundred words a day. He says, I can do that too. <laughs> so I came up with a system, a hundred words a day, I over 
studied the language. I wound up with knowing too many words. I went to an apartment where I was taught Morse code. And initially it was both letters and numbers, but eventually they said, now we just focus on the digits. There was a fellow who very slowly would go, did it, did did da, 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 did did did. And then he would go faster and faster. I picked it up rather quickly. Now they brought me a shortwave radio, and now I had to practice something that came over the airwaves. I now had to dial a certain frequency on the radio. Same thing, just a bunch of uh, digits. I had to write it down and hand it in, say, okay, good. Now, the next step was to actually ascribe meanings to the numbers. And so here comes another guy who teaches me how to encrypt and decrypt. If the enemy breaks your code, you're toast. Albrecht was finally diving deep into learning the craft of a spy. The tricks the rest of society knew nothing about. He was part of an elite secret group, and he liked it. And I got A's in practically everything that they threw at me. Albrecht continued his training, including decoding encrypted radiograms, practicing secret writing with invisible ink, and creating miniaturized photos to be hidden behind stamps called microdots. The use of a microscope in reverse makes sense, right? Microscope, you, you look through it, you see something small, it gets really big. You reverse this, you take something that's pretty big and make it into something small. When it's done, it's the size of the uh, head of a needle, or the head of a pin. You put the information uh, on a microdot, and you put the microdot under the stamp. Just a postcard you put a stamp on. Once the receiving team secured the postcard, they would then follow the process in reverse. And they would blow it up using the microscope the way it's supposed to be used. It could be a message, it could be even something encrypted, it could, could be anything, anything that you, can, that you can photograph. It's just miniaturized, a miniaturized picture. But Albrecht's training was not limited to these highly technical and detailed tasks. He also needed to learn to become street smart and get out in the field. Counter surveillance, or the art of detecting whether you are being followed, would take up a phenomenal amount of time in training and in real-life action. So the field training in Berlin was not very good. It was Nikolai only. I was not working with a surveillance expert. It was about surveillance detection, where you could find out that somebody is following you. Your route through the city needs to be about three hours. There was no rule as to how many spots you had to pick because there are certain spots where you know that if you are being followed that somebody needs to come close that you can see them that could be an elevator that could be a place where you are able to naturally turn around and then see somebody coming at you you need to find those places where you're not in a crowd but the surveillance team needs to be close to you they want to have you incite at all times because it takes only five seconds to execute a brush pass. When you meet somebody and you, instead of shaking hands, you, you hand something over and it's usually in what's called an a gap. Whoever follows you shouldn't even see it. So they're really going to try to stay as close as possible. 
uh, that's usually a team, and depending upon the target, the team could be all, all the way up to eight people, and they would switch who was in the lead. If I see one and I see another one and another one, I still don't know that these are folks that are chasing after me. But when I see the same face twice, that was proof to me that I'm being followed. I did really well. I was considered to be the, one of the best in that trade craft. It was very competitive. I always wanted to win. Despite his training, being a KGB agent meant he would be exposed to a high degree of danger. He needed to rise above any potential fear that might enter his mind. Fear was something he could not allow. To quote this famous line, paranoia will destroy you. Fear is the worst thing that you can operate with as, a, as an undercover agent. That will kill you. Fear will paralyze you and will lead you into making mistakes. And even as I'm telling you all these things, I'm not getting emotional. There are moments when it gets emotional, but not when it comes to operating as an agent. That was probably one of the reasons I survived that long, because emotions get in the way. And eventually, the biggest one there is got in the way. No matter what challenge was thrown at him, Albrecht focused on becoming an expert in all aspects of the spy trade. But there was one distraction that could keep him from fulfilling his mission. Her name was Gabriela. She uh, uh, entered university uh, when I was in my fourth year. She was deeply in love with me. I was not. I liked her, she was pretty, and it is what it is. I was, what, 20, 24, so that's what young people do. One, one time I went to visit her in Leipzig. Uh, I pretty much broke up with her at that point. This is not gonna work, you there, I'm here. And I must have told her when I was in Berlin, in that odd outbuilding that I called my home with a bed and a chair and cold water, uh, I must have given her the address because one day she showed up unannounced. Yes, she came all the way to this little town of Erkner, which is, that's a hike. You had to get on a train from Leipzig to Berlin, and in Berlin you had to get on a, on, on the city train, and then you had, had another like 15-minute walk. She showed up. There wasn't even a guarantee that I would be there that day, at that time. She pleaded with me to resume the relationship in some way which was really awkward for me. I was a hardened individual, but I, st I had still feelings. I really didn't want to mistreat the, the young lady, but I had to find a way to let her know that there was no chance of us getting together again. Eventually, I managed to get her back on a train to send her home. It was pretty rough on me. I didn't like it, and it was obviously rougher on her. Though so much of his training path had been about keeping secrets, Albrecht knew that hiding his own secrets from the KGB would not be taken kindly, if discovered. A good agent must be the best liar when working against the enemy. But the KGB already knew more about their man than he had ever imagined. They knew about this out-of-wedlock child. She had to register the child at the university, and so she had to indicate who the father was. Once this is all recorded, everybody knows. I don't know why. It was, I think, my, 
my standing as a rising star that uh, let me get away with this. Normally, I would have been reprimanded at least, been on probation within the party, not thrown out of the university. That never happened, not even a hint. But an agent must also be 100% truthful with his masters. And so, Albrecht decided to come clean this time and tell Nikolai about Gabriella. And I chose to report that incident to Nikolai. I don't think I did this on purpose, but in hindsight, it had a very interesting impact. First of all, I told him what happened, and he blew up. You know, he may have misunderstood in some way. He thought I had this this affair, and this would interfere with my... He just got, got really annoyed with me. The only time that somebody threatened me... Loud and clear, he said, you know, you can, you can have a relationship with that girl, but then you better get ready to work on a farm. We'll find something for you there. Well, that was pretty clear. So I made sure that he understood, made it quite clear that I broke up with her. Don't you worry about it. The interesting uh, unplanned effect this had was I told him something I didn't have to tell him. I told him something that could have gotten me in trouble. I guarantee you he went back. Every time these people met with me, they wrote a report. He wrote in his report, this guy is honest to the bone. That helped me down the road. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers. I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like y'all. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers could get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Visit uscellular.com for terms and restrictions. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Albrecht continued to train on his own and often found himself lonely, unable to talk to his former classmates and his family. Despite the stern warning from Nikolai, he continued to look for love. I'm 25, 26, and, uh, you know, a normal guy. I'm a sexual human being, and I'm looking for female companionship. I was actually also concerned about having intimate relations because... I already had an illegitimate son. I didn't want to make another child. One time, uh, my basketball team, the Jena basketball team, we we had a a game in Berlin. And then we asked somebody where we could go out. We just wanted to have a good time. And this fellow answered in this inimitable Berlin accent. He said, 
means just, you know, the melody, they have really nice, lovely girls there. But it was slang. It was really funny. One Saturday night, I make my way to that place. I think you had to pay some money to get in. There was a dance floor, pretty sizable, and there was a bandstand. And the tables uh, that were arranged around the dance floor were, I think, seated about six people. So you could share. I picked a place. There were two good-looking young ladies I almost hesitated for a moment they, because they were so well-dressed. I was wondering whether they were from the West. They also, what I saw, there was a, the most expensive wine you can buy in East Germany that they were sharing a bottle of. I sat down, didn't talk, and the dark-haired started a conversation, and we talked for a little bit, and then I asked the blonde one to dance. Somehow, this lady, whose name I didn't even know yet, put her head on my shoulder. There was a connection. I knew something was going on here. So, and we talked, and I actually took her home. And we kissed goodnight and decided to meet again. I think it was the next day. It was not quite love at first sight, but it was a very strong attraction. lady was very beautiful. Uh, her name was Galinda, really blonde and light blue eyes, nice figure, just really well-dressed, all, all, very, very attractive lady, movie star-like uh, attractiveness. So we met the next day, I think we had dinner, and then she invited me up to her apartment. At that moment, I wasn't worried about making another child, I just, I was happy to be there. I took her to the place where she worked, which was Humboldt University, and I told her, well, I'm next door, I'm in the State Department building. I'm walking then that way and then taking the train to my flat. But as I'm walking around there, the world all of a sudden was brighter, more colorful, the sounds were beautiful. I was in love. Boom. I wasn't supposed to fall in love, but you know, the love hits you when you least expect it. And I, I just felt, I felt like walking on air. From then on, we met pretty much every night. I would go visit her apartment and we would spend the night together. And the next morning we would go together, she to her place and I to the uh, Department of State. <laughs> and that went on for quite a while. Based on the situation that with the other one, I had to keep that a secret. I kept this from Nikolai. No way that I would tell him that. It was just, I knew this would end. It would have to end. She didn't know it. As concerned as Albrecht was in keeping his love for Gerlinda from Nikolai, there was an even bigger fork in the road he would need to confront. Albrecht was summoned to Moscow to continue his training. He was headed deep inside the Soviet Union, unsure of what lie ahead. next time on The Agent. They want you in Moscow. They want to determine how good your English is. And Red Square is lit at night, and it was in the evening. I'm going to be here for two years. I can't think of something that was more painful because it ripped my heart out. Apparently, I didn't love her enough to give up my career for her. 
I knew that there was considerable risk that I might wind up in jail. That was so very emotional, very revolutionary. And, you know, that helped a little bit with my loneliness. There was no going back. One of the darkest chapters, if not the darkest chapter of my life. My emotional coldness stepped in. I honestly didn't care. The Agent is a production of Imperative Entertainment in association with Windjoy and is created, written, produced, and edited by Jason Hoke. Narration by Alden Ehrenreich. Executive producers are Jason Hoke, Jack Barsky, and Alden Ehrenreich. Sound engineering and additional editing by Shane Freeman. Our original score by Joshua Klebe. Cover art and design by Gina Sullivan. If you'd like to learn more about this story, make sure to read Deep Undercover, My Secret Life and Entangled Allegiances as a KGB Spy in America by Jack Barsky. Have questions? Email us at podcast at imperativeentertainment.com. If you love this show, tell your friends and leave us a positive review. Thanks again for listening. Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen.